You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It is a Wednesday, hump day, 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear in this program. It's Kevin and Query. Took uh, a consulting group like six weeks to come up with the name. Mark Dykton manning the controls for us on what looks to be, so far, a good start to the morning. A little bit chilly. But good morning to you, uh, Kevin not chilly out in Arizona. Looked like a fabulous night. Jim Irsay sent a tweet where he was uh, meeting with the local beat writers. I saw Zach Kiefer in the photo, Stephen Holder in the photo, I think a couple of Colts employees as well. Joel Erickson, who we'll have on tomorrow. Joel Erickson was in it. Um, but you had mentioned that you you felt like all of a sudden, like it's the same song, but not totally the same song, because it feels like maybe the tenor and a couple of the verses might be a little bit different for the Colts? Yeah, I would say two big Ursay takeaways for me. And again, I'm glad you mentioned those names, because obviously, you know, those guys are out there and boots on the ground and able to get us this information. We'll chat more with Joel about it tomorrow. But I would say, and I kind of expected it, but to hear it from Ursay's mouth obviously is important. I would say he poured some water on the Lamar Jackson Colts potential chatter. And the second thing is he has gone from giving us the length size of the gold jacket for Chris Ballard to realizing that, all right, we need some expectations here. We need to adhere to a standard that has not been sniffed, frankly, through his first six seasons, particularly last year. Um, it, it just it, it wasn't the unequivocal backing of Ballard like he has usually had in prior off seasons. Um, he mentioned that Ballard is not on some quick hot seat, but then was quick to also throw in there the expectations are there. And you know, I think when you see that quote in print, Jake, I don't know if it stands out as much as it will for just the casual fan as it does for me. But again, I want to stress that that is a much different tune from what Ursay typically says about Ballard. Now, the question becomes, all right, he's signed through 2026. Right. What do or what does 2023 need to look like for him to continue to be on a path that Ursay feels like is the right one? And I don't know if tangibly we can point to a record, Jake, or something like that, but I thought Ursay said this on several occasions you will know if it's going in the right direction. You will feel hope. You will sense that. There will be signs of it. And in a way, I think it's very similar to how the Pacers season has gone. This Pacers season, to me, Jake, is about as close to a roaring success as they could have had from a enough wins in the short term to appease the fan base, young development, um, continuity building. You're going to get a lottery pick, hopefully in the top 10, top 5. That is kind of what you need to see out of the Colts. I think for the Pacers, the other thing that comes into play is the fact, Kevin, that at different periods, each of their young players have had their game. Or, or a plural, or, you know? Yeah, or period, right? Like Nimhard had the Laker game and has been pretty consistent. You know, Matherin came out to that roaring start and obviously still is... is you know, he has a swagger about him. There have been moments where it was like Isaiah Jackson played great last night, made a great defensive play. You know, each of them. And so th- there's that standpoint from from the Pacers. Now, for the Colts, I-, I think the challenge for the Colts, Kevin, is not to pit the Pacers versus Colts, but to your point, it's easier 
to provide that light from an NBA standpoint because there's fewer guys, right? I mean, sure. you only need one or two guys to turn things around. The, the challenge the Colts are going to have, and I know that this is literally, I mean, this is such a dead horse that I'm beating that it's not even glue anymore. Now it's like the entire table that's been put together with it. I The the AFC is just so loaded. I, I, I don't know... Well, again, we're going to have to get away from probably wins and losses. We're, we're, yeah, we're probably going to have totally. to get away from that, which I know is easier said than done. Start showing a foundation, yeah, right? It, you, we're probably just going to have to not put as much into that basket as we're used to. I, I think the certainly thing, in this market. He, here is the thing to me that is the difference between the two, and it's so weird to say. And I and I realize. I mean, listen, these two franchises in town. They play nice together in the sandbox, but when they go home after the end of the day at preschool, they do say to their mom, I, I, I think that one got a little too much attention today, right? That There is definitely a little bit of a rivalry between the Colts and the Pacers just in terms of the market attention span, right. if you will. Yeah, not a lot now, of weeping over Gamebridge Fieldhouse with the Colts season they just had. Correct. And, and probably vice versa sure. when the, you know, but... The difference between the two, from the Colts' standpoint right now, and it ha- trust me, it hasn't always been this way, but what is their vision? With the Pacers, I think there's a pretty clear understanding from people what the vision is. What's the foundation? What's the, what is the core block? What is the vision of what the Colts are trying to do? I, I think Ursay told us this week. I, I, I really do. I mean, again, compared to Ballard, which Ballard is a – a politician in many of these settings um he kept his cards close to the vest whether asked about lamar jackson or asked about you know drafting a quarterback etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas ursay he's like we're looking for the future guy we want the guy to be here for the next 10 years when you have a rookie quarterback you know it gives you the opportunity to to build i thought ursay said it i thought ursay made it abundantly clear that enough of the retread, enough of the patchwork, we have got to find the young quarterback, we've got to take advantage of the rookie contract, and we've got to build with that QB. At this point, Jake, based off Jim Ursay's comments, and I felt this way entering the week, but again, Ursay's comments confirmed it, I would be extremely surprised if they pursued Lamar Jackson. Right. I- I- extremely. And I think this is something to worth pointing out about Lamar Jackson. Again, my reservations, his health, his playing style. I think we've seen some dip in his passing over the past few years, if you want to get a little bit into the details of it. But Jake, I think if you put your eggs in the Lamar Jackson basket, it's harder to pivot out of that and take another swing. If you miss with a high draft pick... And again, I know it's low-hanging fruit, and I apologize, Mark Dykton, but the Bears swung on Mitchell Trubisky, and they missed. Well, they stunk so bad, they were able to get to a spot in the draft, and I know Justin Fields fell, but they were able to take another swing just a couple years later. If Lamar Jackson has injury history, Jake, you give up your two first-round picks. So if you win four or five games... That doesn't matter of you drafting in the top five, top ten next year because Baltimore holds your pick. So I know you don't want to think plan B, plan C. You want to just get it right. But if you do get it wrong, I don't think you're going to be in this awful, dire situation cap-wise, draft pick-wise if you miss on Will Levis versus missing on Lamar Jackson. One thing I will always say 
in defense of Chris Ballard and the Colts is this. I think sometimes there are storylines or expectations or assumptions about the Colts that would probably get pretty tiresome if you are the Colts to address or here because they come from everywhere but from the Colts. I, you correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, and, and you would know better than I, but I, I don't recall the Colts ever at any point insinuating that Lamar Jackson was a place they were going to look. Well, but everybody I, just assumed that that made sense, and the precedent was, well, you know, Matt Ryan fell into their lap. Carson Wentz w- w- kind of fell into their lap. Phillip Rivers fell into their lap. Well, here's another one that falls into their lap. So the precedent was there. But I don't know that the discussion was ever there, but everybody just assumed this was a, this was a foregone conclusion. Ballard never poured water on it to the extent Ursay did. And again, I know their comments were just kind of, whatever, six, eight hours apart on Monday, but two different tones from the GM and the owner. Yes, to your point, you know, a lot of the national media, I think, checks kind of the, oh, the Colts make a lot of sense. If you look at Colts players on social media, they're constantly liking tweets about Lamar Jackson to the Colts. You know, so I think that kind of builds. As far as the key decision makers, again, Ballard, more of a politician point of view, he's a special talent. Of course we need to look into special talents. We'll see how it plays out. Ursay, not really down that path, which I think is interesting. You know, you would think if Ursay wants to provide, I don't know, some sort of, hey, we might make a splash, you know, as an owner and create interest for your franchise, you would maybe toe that line a little bit more. The other thing that I thought was interesting from earlier this week, Jake, You know this full well. National media, who would you say is the national media member that has the strongest pulse on the Colts from an ownership standpoint? My first guess would be, I I hate to give the wrong answer here, Uh, Mortensen? Easily Chris Mortensen. Yeah. Easily. Chris Mortensen's tweet earlier this week. A few teams, owners included, have discussed Lamar Jackson's case. One team was hesitant because of the number of games, snaps, and practices Lamar missed the last two to three years compared to the money invested. Also, they wonder if his sleeping habits and nutrition contribute to his absences. Nobody speaks ill of his character. Now, sleeping habits and and nutrition. Uh Uh-huh. These sound like areas where I should be wearing a Lamar Jackson jersey. Actually, my nutrition's really good. My sleeping say, yeah. habits pretty questionable. Marvin Harrison have some tasty cakes that maybe you and <laughs> you and Lamar can can share. No, I, I my my sleep my nutrition is fine. Sleeping habits questionable. I'd be willing to bet there is some Jim Ursay indirect messaging behind that tweet. Yeah, Ursay uh, probably even more so the former. I I, I think the concern about his durability is yeah i don't i'm not gonna act like i know anything about his sleeping habits and his nutrition i trust me you all told me last thursday when i took off my shirt that my nutrition i I didn't say a word well no i'm talking to our listeners um (laughs) and again constructive criticism was needed i was offered a few uh, you know hey if you want to come work out at my facility you know this is where we're at i'm I'm very grateful i i I think it it wasn't necessarily Apparently, even so much that you were topless, but I think you had, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a you're long... having issues controlling your laughter right now. <laughs> you had a longs in each hand and a PBR tempting you. A PBR right? tempting did not go full PBR. Now I will warn you: a week from tomorrow is what? A week from tomorrow. Come on, Mark. Oh. The Super Mario Brothers movie comes out. Ugh. Thursday, 
What? Jake, even you know this. Monday's the final four. What comes three days after the final four? And Jim Nance is, you know, praised like none other for one shining moment. A full week. A tradition unlike any other. Thank you. If Tiger wins, I it might have to be the lower half that that okay that, that, that comes. Well, I'll be on vacation okay. that week then. Speedo. I, if I can get a Tiger Speedo, don't you think it has to be worn? That type of apparel is more fitting for the uh, Waste Management Open than sure. the Masters. That's a very good point, Mark. Yeah, probably would not be allowed inside the gates of Augusta National. But if Tiger is able to don a green jacket a week from Sunday, about 7 p.m. Why don't you do? What if you did the show in just a green jacket and a and a Tiger Speedo? Do you have a green jacket? Why? Are, uh, why are you pushing for this? No green jacket, no tiger speedo, but we would we would need to make that happen. <laughs> now that would be a little bit. We'd kind of be scurrying around town Sunday evening to potentially find those items. Out of the how many millions of people live in Indy? There are thousands, I should say. One point seven. One point seven million metropolitan area. How many people do you think own a tiger speedo? Oh, there's probably some people on Lafayette Road, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. What, three? How many own a green jacket? No, oh, I, I think a decent amount. Okay. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day angle. Kevin, I once had a meeting with somebody that was trying to hire me for something. Just Googling Tiger Speedo right now. While and when I story. asked how much I could possibly get paid up front, they stood up and very emphatically said, Zero! Zero, just like that, which is what I think the odds are that Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters. I can hear it in my head. Mark, what are the odds, if you don't mind looking that up? Zero. I, I will look them Zero. up. I'll see if they're even posted yet. I, I will say, and, and you know, again, we'll have That's we'll the ask number it on, of the day. on next week to chat a little bit more about this, but I do think based off what he did earlier in the year at Riviera, there's a little bit more of a – belief that he could compete at a relatively I, I high level compared I get that to the it past is very years. naive to rule him out I get it you taking Tiger or Phil to finish higher next week uh, you know I, in all honesty at that course I think he that that course he just has it figured out I mean y- if you were intelligent you would which I'm not you would say not to I'm not saying for him to win it but but I do think that he will more likely than not show himself well did you you wanted the odds of tiger woods to outright win the masters uh-huh. correct well put your money down right now plus 5500 i was gonna guess four thousand. same odds as justin rose i think the tiger speedo would have to be placed on the <laughs> bottom. phil mickelson uh plus twenty eight thousand. I have a feeling that with Damn. a speedo on, you would be, you would per, like from the side, you would look like a bird bath. I'm trying to picture that. I'm trying to move the, away from me in a speedo. I'm trying not to, to picture to, that. To, to the, the bird side bath by angle. side of you and ET was pretty strong. <laughs> uh, yeah, who was, was that? Jason, listener, Jason. <laughs> you got to yeah. admit it. <laughs> I, I, I will. I, I'm kind of like the Pacers peeking around the corner with the white flag to Jason. I'm peeking around the corner and just giving a slight. <laughs> Hat tip to him. The angle, mm-hmm. the angle was not your friend. Nah, it wasn't and one of the best. And when you leaned into the camera to hand Sam, you didn't donut. think about maybe like asking me about the picture before posting it. <laughs> What's that? You didn't think about asking me, hey, you know, Consent. is this your best angle? <laughs> I remember when the Hard Knocks cameras were in here. You were very conscious of where the cameras were That's at. Good point. You seem very proud. I didn't want to rain on your parade. Kevin, any thoughts of who the favorite for the Masters is? It gotta be Scheffler, right? Chevy Bosteros. No, Scheffler. Scheffler is 
second. Rom? Nope. Rom is third. Is it Rory? Rory. How close are those three? They got plus seven hundred for Rory. Scheffler plus seven fifty. Rom plus eight fifty. So then drops close. big time after that. Yeah. Then it's Jordan Spieth plus seventeen hundred. Who's the highest live? Is it Cameron Smith, Dustin Johnson? Do you see those names? Cameron Smith is yes the the fifth highest uh, plus twenty one hundred. Yeah, that'll be a big storyline next week. For Dustin the Johnson plus thirty two hundred. Our next guest who joins us on the Payless Liggers Hotline is set to begin, I believe, his tenth season in Major League Baseball. It will be his first with the organization that we just heard, the Chicago Cubs, as he continues his tour of Midwest franchises. Starting with the Reds, of course, then the Detroit Tigers, and now with the Cubs, Tucker Barnhart joins us, who I would assume has been spending the vast majority of his morning figuring out how to transport his car from Arizona to Chicago. Um, Tucker, I asked this question earlier, so I want total transparency here. Thanks for joining us. Would you say that more guys right now are like super eager and ready to go after the offseason or is there a kind of a feeling of like the first day of school of like oh man this is a long haul in front of us yeah well thanks for having me guys i appreciate it as always but uh the i would say the first day of school feeling is more the first day of spring training everybody's super excited now for opening day um and eager to get going versus when spring training starts, you know not necessarily that the season's long, which obviously it is, but spring training is extremely long and begin, uh, begins feeling like Groundhog Day, I would say, about halfway through. So uh, getting getting through spring training is one of the harder points of the year. Uh, but once the season get ready, gets ready to go, everybody's eager and ready to get rolling. All right, Tucker, you just went through a full spring training. The rule changes obviously dominated so many of the storylines, pitch count, shifting, this and that. What do you like? What do you not like from what you just experienced? I'll be honest, man. I like all of them. I, I'm shocked to say that I like the pitch clock, but we played a we, we played a um, an exhibition game right before the WBC against Team Canada without a pitch and we played what felt like a marathon game, and it was only three hours long. So we're, we were averaging like 220 uh, game times in spring training, and uh, it was awesome. The game flows really fast. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an adjustment, and if you talk to me here in about a week and a half or so, I might uh, change my mind because these games obviously mean a lot more than spring training games starting on Thursday. So I could change my tune. Um, however, I think – as long as the umpires continue to have a good amount of feel um, in terms of if a guy fouls a ball off his foot and needs an extra second, they, they don't start the clock on you right away. As long as things like that kind of keep going like they did it in spring training, I think there'll be no issues. Uh, the shift I'm a big fan of, being able to roll over a ground ball through the right side in between the second baseman and the first baseman again for a hit is uh, – it's huge. So uh, I'm, I'm super excited about him. Spoken like a true lefty there. Okay, when you say <laughs> adjustment, I was curious this. I mean, it's quicker in between pitches. Isn't that going to be more taxing on you in terms of, you know, how often and how quickly you're back into that crouch? Yeah, it, it, it was a little bit there early on. I, I joked with uh, our strength and conditioning guys that I didn't know I needed to run a, more basketball suicides uh, during during the off season to get ready to play. I thought I needed to be in baseball shape, not basketball shape. But, uh, you know, I, I think we all got used to it. We all got used to, to how, how, long, how to pace or what our tempo kind of is, no matter what position you're playing, whether you're hitting, whether you're on defense. 
And what we found was that a lot of guys were just going too fast. We had a lot of a lot of moments where there was still a considerable amount of time left on the clock, um, whether it be a pitcher throwing to me or, or whether it be me in the in the batter's box. So it, it's I, I would rather feel sped up in spring training and be able to kind of slow myself down versus get to opening day and have to speed myself up because that's a that's a slippery slope if you're having to do that. Where exactly is the the clock itself? So the pitcher is looking at it. Are there is there more than one? Yeah, there's there. I believe there's either one or two behind me, so behind home plate. But is there um, one then, within your vision? Correct. There's one. I think there's and there's two. Um, I think like in left center and right gotcha. center. So um, that I can see. Does that add then the catcher to me? Tucker Barnhart's our guest. The catching position, as we've talked about with you before, Tucker, to me is a fascinating one because you're kind of like the center on an NFL team. You have, I think, more responsibilities than people realize. Is this a new responsibility for you as a catcher? In other words. Is the primary responsibility of knowing the clock the catchers, the pitchers, or is it 50-50? Um, I think it's – I would say that it's probably 50-50. Um, I, maybe I would lean a little bit more toward the pitcher um, than, than the catcher, but it's, it's pretty much split down the middle. I, I think there are some certain – there's certain nuances to it that, that, um, that kind of make it more than just a pitch clock. For example, if – in in the past, if if we couldn't get on the same page in terms of which pitch I wanted to or we wanted to throw, I could just call time and the guy would step off the mound and we would get back on there and figure out what we wanted to throw and go. Um, now, if there's no one on base, I won't be awarded time in a situation like that. So if the clock is running close to close to the end and I try to call time the umpire won't give me time it'll be considered a ball once the clock runs out so with 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 a guy on base with a guy on base the guy can step off and reset the clock so there's a lot there's some nuance there that Hmm. that we have to know that uh, the pitcher and the catcher both have to know so being on the same page is imperative will you have a a signal essentially if you realize, oh gosh, he doesn't realize the clock's about to run down here and we're in trouble. Will you have a signal to him like we got to go here, you throw? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about a couple different ways to approach it. Um, whether it's a each guy has like a, a, a default pitch in a way that they throw for that for that hitter or for that series or that season, I guess. Um, that if the clock ends up coming down to the end and it's three two on the hitter and the next ball is ball four, obviously, that, that we're throwing a certain pitch. So we've talked about that. Um, the, the one layer is that I can make a mound visit. So if I call time and run out to the mound real quick, that's not considered a ball, so we could do that. Um, but obviously those trips to the mound, are uh, there's only a certain number that I can, that I can make. So it's, uh, it's going to be important that we're on the same page um, more, more times than not and, uh, and, and go from there. It's interesting. Tucker Barnhart, year 10 on the horizon. The Brownsburg native is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. The Cubs will get underway tomorrow for opening day. Um, obviously, along with the rule changes, Tucker, you know the World Baseball Classic, I think, dominated a lot of conversation outside of the NCAA tournament here over the past few weeks. And I thought it was great you know, from a, just a headline standpoint. 
Um, what did you make of the tournament? Do you like the fact that it is played during the time year that it is played? And I guess how much interest did you guys have in in, in watching it? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I first first and foremost, I, I love I loved it. I think I think it's great. I think it adds a, a, a level of kind of like the Olympics, obviously, and but but in right in the beginning of baseball center, and it adds kind of. Uh, an excitement or to the, to, to our season kind of starting up and getting going. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of up in the air on when it's played. Um, I think there, there are more guys maybe that would play if it ended up being like, like the way they run the pro bowl in football, where, where they play it right before, right before the world series. Um, but I don't, I just don't know, or right after the world series, I just don't know how um, that would work in terms of a, of a timeline, but I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, I, there's a lot out there about injuries and all of that stuff. And and I've seen guys get hurt for years in spring training, and we're talking about games that don't matter. So I think that the injury narrative is kind of a, a little bogus. Um, but I, I think I think the tournament overall is great. Um, I think it adds an excitement uh, to our game and just kind of kicks, kicks everything off um, heading into opening day um, with some excitement. You know, Everybody's excited right now, right? I mean, it, it is great. It, it's the sign that summer's around the corner. Hell, the Reds think there's they can nothing, win 50 games. <laughs> there's, there's nothing like uh, – I'm telling you, Kevin, 75. There's nothing like the summertime of Major League Baseball. But at the same time, it's a long year, Tucker. That's the reality. What's the most mentally trying aspect of being a big league ball player? Um, I, I would have to say that the – the years where you're on teams that that aren't going to win, uh, I really and and you know that going in, and that's that's it's every it's it, I would be naive to say, or guys would be naive to say that that if you're in a certain club, certain clubhouses, or in certain organizations at certain points of your career, that 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 the winning isn't necessarily the the biggest key. It's more about development, and it's more about um, figuring out who are who are big leaguers and who aren't big leaguers, um, and so if you're if you're in a position where you've been around for a little while, or you're, or you're a veteran in a clubhouse, and going into spring training, you know that we're just here to play the year out, and uh, hopefully we can get better and eyes on the next year, and then the year after that, and so so going into going into a year where the the expectations aren't that of trying to make the playoffs. And then getting into the middle of the year, getting into August and or July. Sometimes I've been on teams where we've been out of it in June, you know. And 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 when you know that that there's only the only way, the only reason you're playing is one because you have a contract and you have a job, which is phenomenal. But also it's it's for selfish reasons, and those those years aren't fun, uh, just because it's it's it seems very selfish and and not the most fun fun to be around. I've always wondered this, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before, Tucker, but like when Kevin and I were just talking about the fact, you know, the Indianapolis Indians games are super fun, right? I mean, people love to go and, and watch them. Of course, that's the, the top farm club for the Pittsburgh Pirates. When you go to an Indians game at the A level, are you watching guys that are closer in margin to being big league players or being A players? Oh, man, that's a, that's a really good question. I... I would say that it's I would say that it's more of the former than the latter. Um, I think 
that the way that organizations view younger players now is that they push them through faster and faster. Uh, I think the game is continuously getting younger. Um, and I think that is when you go and you do see, see a guy at AAA, I would be more willing to, I'd be willing to bet more times than not that he's on the cusp of the big, big leagues versus uh, being sent down to double A. I think that they keep guys, they keep guys in certain spots um, to just to just to keep spots open uh, in the event that they need to send a guy down from the big league level to AAA to get at bats um, or a prospect or what uh, or whatnot uh, to be at the AAA level and be be. I mean, most of the time, logistically, that 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 level is is the close to the big league cities that you're going to get, and so for a guy to be able to get to that get to the big league city quick. So I would say that it's more it's more big league players that are in AAA versus AA players for sure. Tucker, I'm not sure if you were listening earlier, but I mentioned that you know a week from tomorrow is the start of the Masters, and if Tiger Woods is able to don the green jacket, I will wear a Tiger Speedo um, <laughs> on the show here coming up a week from Monday. Mark Dykton very accurately pointed out that's more of a waste management attire than maybe something post-Masters. If I'm not mistaken, last time we chatted, you were about to head to the waste management open did you get a chance to get out there and if so how was that experience yeah man i went out to uh so i went out to super bowl sunday so the sunday of the waste management uh, went out there with a couple buddies um and enjoyed our time out there we, we hadn't really started games yet so uh it was a laid-back day on monday so we enjoyed ourselves <laughs> a little bit um on 16 um spent probably too many calories with some Coors Light sure. um, there. Did you and, throw and, uh, any uh, out on the green? No, I didn't. Okay. I, didn't. I, I respected the game. Yeah, I didn't want to test your game. arm too much? Okay. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't, wasn't built up yet. It wasn't, wasn't close to the season yet. Let me tell you, Kevin, you took your shirt off, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. For a show not too long ago. And then I'm thinking about you in a Speedo, and I can just tell you that uh, waste management has not necessarily been a strong suit of yours over the last <laughs> Beg to differ if we could, you know, if we want to go into bowel movements, we could get a little deeper into maybe this topic. Uh, Tucker, before we we let you go, obviously opening day, I'm sure top of mind. Uh, Is Lamar Jackson on your favorite football team top of mind at all for you? (laughs) Oh, man, I I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. Um, I I, I want him to go one or two ways. Personally, I'm an Anthony Richardson guy. I think you shoot for the moon um, potentially there or you go after Lamar Jackson. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I um, I hope where there's smoke, there's fire with that one. Personally, I'm a fan of his, and I I enjoy watching him play. So I would I would not uh, hate to see him wearing number eight for the Colts. What is the one aspect of Tucker Barnhart's game as a baseball player that heading into year ten has been most elusive for you to corral, and that you most want to find consistency in as a Cub? You know, for me personally, um, I have always been a guy that when things start to go a little south uh, at, at the plate, um, that I, I run to change. I run to change something. I run to change my stance. I run to change my where my hands are. I, want, uh, I run to change what pitches I'm looking for. Um, and therefore, I think it, it takes a little bit of consistency away from me as a player. Um, and, and what this staff in Chicago has done, such a good job of is creating an environment to to get the best versions of us and i think and and i've had this conversation with a couple of our coaches how it's really cool i've played on a lot of i, I haven't played on, on a lot of teams but i've played for a lot of different coaches and 
there there are few and far between in terms of staffs that I've been around that that are really focused. It seems on every single one of them, they're trying to get the best out of you. And I think what I mean by that is I want I know that I that I'm a I'm a good player and I know that I've had success at the big league level and I just want to tap into that and keep getting better in the confines of who I am as a player. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that here in Chicago because, it, like I said, the environment is really conducive uh, for me to be able to do that. What percent of great hitters, Tucker, in Major League Baseball are great hitters because they can view and see the seam of the ball and know the pitch that's coming versus they simply have the ability to predict on law of averages and situation what pitch is coming? I would say that, that the the God-given ability of the majority of guys is what kind of carries them more than other things. Um, I think that, that you can get to a place where you can predict certain pitches and when they're coming. Um, however, I think the way that baseball has trended and for the last few years, up to five, ten years, is pitchers are throwing their best pitches. It's going to sound really stupid, but pitchers are throwing their best pitches as much as they possibly can. Right. And in the past, guys would throw certain pitches to kind of set other pitches up and and, and maybe try to, to mix in more fastballs just because they haven't thrown more fastballs, for example. But now, guys, with the, with the overall velocity that, that is there now in the game, as well as pitchers adopting that I'm going to throw my best pitch as much as I can because I don't think they can hit it. Philosophy has made it a lot harder to kind of predict what's coming. So I think the, the, the overall God-given ability that the majority of guys have, uh, I would say, carries for sure. Tucker, we'll end with this, and I appreciate the time uh, ahead of opening day. Again, Tucker Barnhart, year 10, the Brownsburg native with us. Um, I don't know if you're numb to it at this point. I don't know. You you seem like just you have so much joy in 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 playing the game of baseball. I don't think so, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Like, what will your emotions be? Will you be emotional tomorrow at two twenty? Like, I mean, it is it's Wrigley. It's it, it's opening day. It's a it's a Cubs uniform. Like, will you be emotional? You think? I, it's funny, man. Like, I hadn't. I don't. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but I got goosebumps when you're talking about it, which is really kind of cool. Um. For me, man, like I, I never take an opening day for granted. Um, when when I was coming up, you weren't considered a, you were still considered a rookie, no matter how much time you had, unless you went. They called it gate to gate, unless you went opening day to the end of the year. And for me, every opening day, kind of, it, it's the start of something new. It's the start of something really special. I'm super proud of it, um, and. I think playing in Chicago for me is kind of like a, being fortunate enough to play in the big leagues. Like it's kind of like a bucket list thing for me, like growing up so close to here, a lot like Cincinnati, like playing in Cincinnati for me was, was a dream come true. I had to play in my backyard and the same thing kind of stands true here in Chicago, playing at Wrigley, hearing go Cubs go and actually liking it um, <laughs> is, is it's going to be a lot of fun. I, we have, there's such a great group of guys, uh, young and, and veterans, um, it's it's a joy to be be around um, the clubhouse every day. Uh, I'm getting ready to head over there here in about ten minutes uh, to, to for our workout today. Um, so to answer your question, in some level, I'll definitely be emotional just because yeah, it, it's a it's a kind of it's somewhat of an over, overwhelming experience in opening day, especially being on the field for the flyover and all of that stuff. Um, but it's it, there's nothing like it. No matter where you're at, Cincinnati, Detroit. 
Chicago. I haven't experienced it yet here, but I, I can imagine um, that, it, that it's going to rival some of the best that I've ever been around. So I'll definitely be emotional at some level. Um, like I said, I got goosebumps when you're talking about it. So uh, it's still it's super special to me, and, and, and I feel like it, always, it, it will be. Um, and when it's not, it'll probably be time to uh, go do something else. It's been a hell of a run, uh, 10 years now, coming up in Major League Baseball for Tucker Barnhart. Uh, soak it up tomorrow, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully we can catch up here in a couple months, man. Sounds good, guys. I appreciate you guys always. Thank you. Picturing the 52-year-old just doing the splits, people in awe in the villages of him. <laughs> I don't know he can move like that. <laughs> Get a little leisure suit going on. Uh, hey, Jake, I'm 50. Uh, I go visit my mom at her assisted living facility, and there's at least one older gal that hit on me <laughs> and asked which room I'm in. I explained I'm visiting my mother. Now I can see where all the STDs come from. Okay. Google search for the villages. We bring up the villages for their raucous environment towards Florida Atlantic. And Dusty May's bunch coming up Saturday night, 609 tip. Speaking of the state of Florida, Would no Would that be real... Cougars? Is that in the age demographic or is that something else? The Owls, Cougars, uh, no easy transition here. Uh, did you see a, uh, honestly, a player, Jake, that I thought a lot of people would be back with the Colts? He's found a new home in Florida. Um, I did not. Elaborate, please. Uh, that would be Chase McLaughlin joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good for him, though, because I thought he had a good year. Right? Agreed. Agreed. I thought he um, did a really nice job. Again, very consistent. Um, he has kind of bounced around, really, in his NFL career. And, you know, you look at him replacing Adam Vinatieri in 2019, what he did then, and... I would think for an outdoor stadium, I'd assume Tampa would be one of the more favorable kicking environments that you would have. Um, so that is now the sixth Colt to move on to a different team this off season. It, you know, we're approaching the end of March. The Colts started the off season with sixteen free agents. The only really notable ones left that have not found a home: Yannick Ngakwe who you would think is not returning to Indy, but will obviously find a home at some point. Safety Rodney McLeod, who started pretty much every game for you. I think there's a little bit of a retirement debate with him. And that's pretty much it, Jake, from a notable standpoint. Bobby Okereke, Paris Campbell to the Giants. Brandon Faison to the Raiders. Matt Pryor, offensive lineman to the 49ers. Again, McLaughlin to the Bucks, And Byron Coward, who's kind of a rotational defensive tackle to the Chiefs. I'm really curious to see where Pryor plays this upcoming season. Like, isn't it a further indictment on the Colts if he signs somewhere else and plays anything but the left tackle? Because it's like, that means a team saw value in him as a blocker, but not at the position the Colts insisted he could play. Yeah, I actually thought if you brought him back here and you said, hey man, we screwed up big time last year. We told you to change your body. We told you to move from the right side to the left side, and that was a disaster on our part. We never should have put you in that situation. I thought if they would have looked at him and said, can you be a backup interior guy for you? I I could have actually seen that um, because I think he has been that in his career. Was that a bit in Philly? Was even that in Indy the year prior? Um, So that would be, I assume, what the 49ers are thinking. It's like, hey, man, let's just get back to your natural body type. He's more of an interior body. 
he's more of a right side of the line. He was talking last offseason about like not only losing weight to play tackle, but also like doing boxing training and boxing as a lefty to like open your hips up to that side because right. he's so used to playing on the right side. So I mean that was quite the undertaking that he had to endure. I'm not, you know, I know I'm kind of carrying his water a little bit here, but um, I would assume San Francisco looks at it and says, hey, come be our eighth offensive lineman, primarily in the interior. You know, one of the guys from an offensive line standpoint that I think in the moment we probably took for granted in terms of his maturity and approach, Anthony Costanzo, Kevin, everything that you just mentioned like Anthony Costanzo from the time that he was brought in, and he was kind of a doughy, goofy kid, I thought, coming out of Boston College. I mean, obviously, you know, already a great player in college, but I don't know that I've ever seen a player more dedicate himself to understanding the science of what he needed to do. And I, I think you make a really interesting point about, like, at left tackle – Figuring out the way that the movement of your hips, the the contortion of your body, the geometry of of the way that your weight balances. I mean, all of those things. Costanzo like literally studied the physics of being yeah, an offensive. It's a lineman. great point. Science is the perfect word to uh, use for him. Yes, and like he he would sit and talk for, and I know because I did radio shows with him where he would sit and talk at length about studying the movement, the placement of his feet, everything. It was so much more than just the physical strength. Which, And then the other thing he did, you, we talked earlier in the show about Lamar Jackson and some team saying that they had concerns about Lamar Jackson's nutrition. Anthony Costanzo like, took, I think it was two years in a row, where he went to Florida and just lived at the IMG Academy and was like, okay, and he like hired a chef and the whole deal and completely transformed himself. I mean, it was impressive. Which is saying something, because his parents own an Italian restaurant. Right. And like that also goes to show how... Because he was obviously a very good left tackle. And he came in a good one. And he left a very good one, but was extremely reliable. And... But I... I mean, the hours upon hours upon hours that went into that in all aspects in commitment of a lifestyle commitment... You know, I can see also why he just got to a point, same with Tarek Glenn, where he's like, I- I'm good. Yeah, you know? You know, it's fitting that you bring him up. I just wrote something on our website about Bernard Ryman and going to be the left tackle this season. The Colts are banking on, you know, I thought he ended his rookie season on, on a pretty decent note, certainly better than how he started. And they're hoping for a little bit more just kind of growth with him, a little bit more physical development. You know, he came over the States as a teenager. You know, not a ton of American football background. Again, was a tight end initially in college before switching to left tackle. Obviously, quarterback has dominated the news cycle for the Colts here this offseason. Head coaching search dominated it. It would do wonders for this franchise if Bernard Ryman could lock up that left tackle spot. I mean, wonders. Yeah. Because but it, it, it felt like he started to trend that direction, yeah, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm okay with the Colts banking on that. You know, it. it You've kind of backed yourself into a corner of when you didn't address left tackle late in the Costanzo years, immediately right after his retirement, and trying to kind of pass that torch a little bit more seamlessly at that spot. 
at some point, you're going to have to take a bit of a risk, and that's Ryman. And the fact that, you know, he's a third-round pick. Again, there's development needed out of college from him. But if you get that right, you cross off such a pivotal need at such an important position, and now you can focus your attention more so to quarterback and more so to wide receiver and edge rusher and and cornerback and some of those other areas on your roster. Again, the... um. We mentioned just a few minutes ago six Colts that have signed elsewhere in free agency. The five or the four that they've brought back uh, that would be Tyquan Lewis, EJ Speed, Ashton Doolin, and Tony Brown. Um, don't think any of those are necessarily starters on that end, but yeah, EJ Speed, not starter, Kevin. But the thing I like about EJ Speed is, I, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, I don't know. But it feels like EJ Speed is kind of a a versatile guy that you can m- maybe use to fill a couple of different positions should they arise. Does that make sense? Yeah, a great special teamer. And again, uh, some insurance there on the Shaquille Leonard front, which is another unknown. You know, EJ Speed is like the Brendan King of the Colts, right? Like, oh yeah, and I like of, I like uh, Bre- I love Brendan King. That's I, what I, I mean. Like, he seems like a nice fellow too. Like Brendan King, though, you can you know he he serves many different roles here within what we do at the radio. So I mean, people who listen to the radio station know who Brendan King is. That's why I make the comparison. But he he can fill in in various different ways at, at different levels and do so all of them completely it does a great job in whichever way you put him, whether it's sports talk or whether it's you know, network Indiana, or whether it's you know running a whatever it might, whatever you need, he can do any of that. That's kind of what EJ Speed to me. You think feels when like. Brendan King interviews for the Cubs job one day, he's going to say, "You know, people in my past have told me I'm the EJ Speed." <laughs> They're going to be like, "Who?" Yeah, uh, Tarleton State is that not ringing a bell for you? Yeah, EJ Speed. EJ Speed actually, when he interviews for his next free agency, he's going to say, "I'm the Brendan King of the Colts." That's <laughs> probably more likely, right? Uh, it is something to note. You know, Chris Ballard's comments, Jim Irsay's comments from the owners' meeting. You know, Ballard. Pretty much saying that for the foreseeable future, he looks at both um, Kenny Moore and Ryan Kelly as guys that will be Colts. Uh, if you don't make a big cornerback move the rest of the offseason, that would be Kenny Moore, of course, as one starter. And then when you get into those three corner sets, Isaiah Rogers and Dallas Flowers. So you are banking on a lot of youth at that cornerback you position. You know, the Dallas Flowers guy. Uh, the Pittsburgh State product, Dallas Flowers. Uh, Ryan Kelly and Kenny Moore, Jake, I would put them right behind Matt Ryan as most disappointing Colts from last season, considering the contract. You know, and it is interesting that that looks like Ryan Kelly, I mean, they're going to they're gonna go ahead and, and run that back again, right? Do you think that's smart, like thinking rookie quarterback, veteran center? Do you think that's any part of their, of their thinking? Well, two ways to look at it. The first would be it certainly helps to have a you know a veteran center that is a smart guy, which Ryan Kelly is that can that can guide that. The other would be if you're going to make a change at center, you might as well do it when you have a new quarterback as well, right? You know what I mean? Like in other words, does that make sense what I'm saying? Like if if you're going to go ahead and get a, a a rookie quarterback, you might as well get a center with him that's going to be there for the, for five years. So if you're going to make that change, you might as well do it now as opposed to have him getting used to working with Ryan Kelly and then in two years Ryan Kelly retires right. or whatever. Yeah, I can kind of look at it 
in both ways.